to thine own self be true. Has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? On those occasions where people are asked randomly, is that what the Bible teaches? Does that say that in the Bible? To thine own self be true is considered to be something the Bible says. Similarly, cleanliness is next to godliness, and God will not give us more than we can bear. These are all things that the Bible does not teach. I know even some Christians may find that a bit surprising because they thought 1 Corinthians chapter 10 taught exactly that, that God wouldn't give us more than we could bear. The passage doesn't teach that. In fact, the passage, if it teaches anything, teaches the opposite. It's surprising that anyone could come to that kind of conclusion about what the Bible teaches. When you consider what the people of God had to suffer during various periods of history, like the book of Revelation. Would you consider having to watch your family, your loved ones, your children, your spouse persecuted, tortured, and murdered more than you can bear? Often God's people have suffered more than they can bear. The point of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is God will always provide a way of escape But the importance of that teaching is really seen in the fact that a Christian recognizes that many times in life, things come at me that they're greater than I can bear. And unless I take God's avenue of escape, it will crush me. It will ruin me. And that's what we need to remember. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is teaching, that God will open a door for you. Take it. Be sure you're perceptive enough to know what those options are that God provides. And that's the importance of having an educated faith. This phrase, to thine own self be true, is beautifully phrased and it invokes all kinds of positive feelings about truth and self and loyalty. But what if yourself is not worth being loyal to? It didn't work out for the rich fool, and he was true to himself to the very end. It didn't work out for Judas, and he was true to himself. It didn't finish well for the rich young ruler, he was true to himself. It didn't finish well for the Pharisee, he also was true to himself. In fact, there are a lot of examples when being true to self just doesn't work out and oftentimes ends in disaster. But none of this changes the fact that this phrase has become enormously popular as a slogan for life. You see it on posters, t-shirts, tattoos. It's one of the most popular slogans around. The slogan is one of the all-time famous quotes coined by William Shakespeare, Act 1, Scene 3, in the famous play Hamlet. You want to hear some really thick irony? As we often observe that people can make a real mess out of things and taking a verse, lifting it from the Bible without regard for context, this appears to be exactly what people are doing to Shakespeare. The character in Hamlet who speaks this phrase about being true to oneself and the actual quote is, this above all, 
to thine own self be true, and it must follow as night follows day. The man who is attributed in this play to saying this wise saying, supposedly, is a man by the name of Polonius. Shakespeare presents him as a fool, a blowhard, a scoundrel. He is a lousy father. He hires a man to spread rumors about his own son so he can manipulate his son. He is not even above using his daughter in an attempt to impress the king and earn his favor. And it's because of his despicable behavior that both his son and his daughter suffer tragic end, as does he. And this is the man who says... To thine own self be true. A fool, a deceiver, a man without virtue or affection for his own family. Not the kind of source material that makes good slogan for life. Don't you think? Like all textual homicides, it still doesn't stop fanatics from lifting a phrase, commandeering the meaning. And some have argued that Polonius was not true to himself and that in a rare moment he spoke something that was wise. I would suggest he was true to himself. A literary expert proves my point while explaining the meaning of the quote when he wrote, Being true to yourself means you are completely honest with what you feel with what you deeply desire, and so you seek to be loyal to who you are, your genuine self, at all costs. Well, that's what I thought it meant. And it appears to me that that's exactly what Polonius did. He knew his desires. He knew how he felt. He was honest with himself about that. He was true to himself about that, and he went about behavior that was true to that at all costs. So when you think about this, about what being true to yourself actually produces, it does not produce opportunities to make you a better person. It can make you obnoxious like Polonius, or self-centered, or arrogant, and foolish, and people who think they know themselves really well, and that's extremely important to them, it's tattooed on their brain and on their hearts, be true to yourself, these people will often take that as authority to dismiss everyone else because no one else really matters when you're true to yourself. Being true to yourself is the key, is the function in life. It also encourages an individual to be complacent and lazy about what they are. So not only does it fail you in making you a better person, it is more than likely to keep you stuck in immature and destructive patterns of thought and behavior for all of your life. You have noticed, I'm sure, Unfortunately, even among brethren, people you have known for 10, 20, 30 years, 
And you've observed as they get into one problem and one trouble and one misstep after another, they've not changed since I've known them. This is the kind of thing they'd do 30 years ago. And they're doing it now. How does that happen? One explanation is they are true to themselves. They are what they are. And they've accepted that. One thing is most certainly true. They have not seen a conflict. They have not seen any reason to change or alter their behavior. This whole thing reminds me of the popular philosophy people are drawn to when they say, I just really need to focus on me right now. We're hearing that quite often. So when a conflict between what God wants me to be and to do and what I want to do, and that conflict can be terrible, and we all have it. We all have that conflict at one time or another. And if we're really fond of this philosophy of being true to self, we start thinking about, I really need time to focus on me, and that gives me permission to refuse God. It gives me permission to put God off. This is what people will say when they don't want to accept certain responsibilities or when there is something unpleasant in facts that they don't want to face, when there's conflict that exists between them and others, maybe their brethren, and it encourages denial and refusing to accept that this conflict exists and it demands a resolution. And rather than rise up and deal with that need for resolution, they think to themselves, I need, I need to withdraw. I, I need time for me. I need to figure out what I want and, and what I think. And so when a conflict arises between brethren or the church, nothing happens. There was a Bible study I remember some years ago remember it distinctly, because it was one of the first times I heard something like this, and we were in about our third study of the scriptures, and I was going slow, and I was trying to be very careful and cautious about how fast it was going. Sometimes it can become overwhelming to someone to see for themselves what the Bible is saying, and it did catch him, and it got a little too close to home, and he told me the end of the third study, I just really need to focus on me right now. And it sort of set me back, and I wondered what did he mean by that? Did he mean he needed to think about the Scriptures and digest what he had learned? Or was he telling me he was offended and that he didn't want to go any farther with this? I learned it was the latter as time went on, but I really believe that he thought this was a noble-sounding kind of thing. And that he needed to think this out and then basically put this away and I'm thinking if this is so noble if this is so honest of you then what you ought to be saying is I know exactly what the Bible is telling me I know exactly what God wants me to do and I don't like it I want to be true to myself and I want to do my own thing that's really what he should have told me because that's really as I found out what was going on in his mind Remember the Bible says in John chapter 12, verses 3 through 6, that Judas was a thief? You know, it's in this context where Mary comes and she anoints Jesus' feet with very costly oil of spikenard, and the aroma 
fills the, the house and Judas gets wind of this. It says the Judas that would betray Jesus. And he asks, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And verse 6 says, and this he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used it to take what was in it. He was a thief. It explains to you who he was. Did you know that Judas remained true to himself until the bitter end? He was a thief and he remained loyal to being a thief. And he did not see conflict or did not accept it as serious between what he was and what he needed to be before God. And so you tell me, how in the world is Judas supposed to become a better person? How is he supposed to become something other than a thief if he remains true to himself? (laughs) This is another one of those scams, folks, that we can so easily buy into. I don't know if it's the poetic utterance or the the source or by the time it gets on a T-shirt or on a poster, we're thinking, well, that... It sure sounds good. I think that's something like the Bible teaches. To thine own self be true. It just has a ring to it. A ring of clarity. A ring of truth. We all have our dirty little truths about self. And the only people who ever end up becoming better are those people who have learned the importance of denying self. Not being true to it. The Bible teaches, critical point, you're going to come to God, if you're going to be a child of God, you must understand the need to deny self, to crucify yourself. These are things that are absolutely taught in Scripture, that self is not worth being loyal to. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, follow me. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Something has to die when you come to Christ. Self is not going to like it because self is going to be the victim. Self will rebel Self will resist. Person's got to learn that. This is not a pleasant thing. Verse 5, Romans 6. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. The old man there, self. Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You know, another thing being true to self does not allow, it does not give you guidance. It does not give you useful guidance in life. I know the proponents of being true to self act like that when you're true to self, it's this great gigantic beacon of light that helps you with your decisions. That's not so. It's not what the Bible teaches. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. The way of man, O Lord, I know. 
The way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Nothing to be loyal to there. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25. There's a way that seems right to man. The end thereof is death. Nothing to be loyal to there. I know this is a very dismal picture. Some people really find it difficult to accept this as humanitarian philosophy has placed us high on the pedestal. We can't hardly accept that the picture is really this dismal. But the Bible says it is in terms of our... You see, we just don't come pre-programmed. We're not born with a sense of conscience about what's right and wrong. We have to learn that. And somewhere along the way, you and I have to choose who's going to be our teacher. Is it going to be the world and the advancement of materialism? Is that going to be our teacher? Or is it going to be a passion for things in, the, in this life? Is that going to be our teacher? Or, or is our teacher going to be God? You and I have to decide. To be true to self is a disastrous thing. Because self is not offering what we need. It, does, it is empty of what we need to be able to make wise decisions and move forward in life. And people actually see this as courageous and a, a virtuous thing, true to self. It seems to be that which people would encourage others to strive for. But it's this very thing that when it gets into the hearts of brethren, allows a person to do wrong and to ignore what others Even brethren are trying to urge them to think about what brethren are urging them to consider. They refuse because they're loyal to self and nothing else. And he gets caught up in the same old rut of his mistakes and failures. When a person believes being true to self is the ultimate virtue, it's like the universal excuse that can be used for anything. It is a get-out-of-jail-free card to do whatever pleases me. Ignoring righteous brethren, ignoring Bible warnings, even ignoring what you know is right and wrong. Because none of that matters when I'm committed to being true to me. Have you ever looked at Romans chapter 1 this way? These folks who had gotten caught up in these all manner of personal sins in Romans 1, the Gentiles as they are described, and in the listing of the every imaginable sin that usually you can think of at one sitting is listed there, and then it says they knew they were wrong. The chapter actually describes them as people who knew they were wrong, and they pulled this feet off by the assurance that they were being what they wanted to be. That they were true to themselves. And in that choice of theirs, verses 24 and 26 and 28 tell us distinctly, tell the reader distinctly, that when a man gets to this state of mind, he's beyond God's help. And it states specifically that God three times, that God gave them over to their debased ways, their reprobate minds. Can you think of anything worse than getting yourself into a predicament where God says, I can't help this person anymore. I can't reach him anymore. 
This is what a commitment to being true to yourself will get you. It doesn't get you nowhere. It dooms you. All the while, like these people in Romans 1, they feel totally vindicated. They may not have God. They may not have good brethren. But they're true to self. Little consolation. Being true to self does not allow you to see yourself for who you are. It does not allow you to engage in genuine self-awareness or self-examination. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5. Every time, this is another example, but every time the Bible presses us to examine ourselves and be aware of who we are and see ourselves for what we are, it's always in the context of a standard Some objective rule, some external rule. So it's not just, well, know yourself, introspect, and be true to that. The Bible never teaches that. What the Bible teaches is what it teaches here. Examine yourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do not... Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? And so he uses the the will of Christ and he uses faith as the objective standards by which we are to seek to examine ourselves or to evaluate ourselves or or to know ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27, the Lord's Supper, here's how it's described. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, he is guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The standard is what the Bible teaches about what this Lord's Supper is about, what Jesus has done, what are the commands regarding this supper, what are we supposed to be doing regarding this supper. So, yes, the Bible does teach the self-analysis and the self-examination, but it's not just an internalizing where we reach into ourselves and we try to see what's in there, and then once we see what's in there, whatever it is, we feel somewhat justified and that we have seen it. Not only would that be evil for you, the fact of the matter is, even cognitive neuroscience says we can't do it. I don't know, I'm on a roll here or some kind of jag or something about bringing you information that comes from sources other than the Bible that confirm all along what the Bible has been teaching. I'll get off this. It's not intentional. It just keeps coming up. And so here is, and by the way, what the research project that I'm going to be telling you about, I have the... um, The abstract here, in case you're interested in more details, I'm just going to give you the the basics of it. But this was an extensive research project, began over four years ago, and it was conducted by Dr. Tasha Urich and her team of researchers. And what they did, basically, is they examined, I think it was over, I know it was, it was over 800 existing studies on self-awareness. So so rather than 
they did some of their own work, but rather than just do their own work, they decided to take the world of studies that had already been done about self-awareness and self-examination. And it included 10 separate investigations and involved over 5,000 participants. And they wanted to know, number one, what is self-awareness? Number two, how does one actually accomplish it? How does one come to know himself as he is? Their premise was, this is really important because they had determined that when someone is self-aware, he's more productive, he's more at peace, he has stronger and healthier relationships. With all these things, I'd have to agree. He's less likely to cheat or steal or lie. Those are their words, not mine. And he is more likely to make sounder decisions. And so seeing that self-awareness was so important to the human being, to his life, they wanted to know more about the details in terms of how does one actually gain more self-awareness? What can we learn from all the research that's been done? They concluded that there are two types of self-awareness. Number one, internal. It's what you think of yourself. And the second type of awareness, self-awareness, was external. What others think of you. The Bible doesn't break it down this way. Not quite like this. Uh, But there's great similarity. So the two sources are competing, they said. Isn't that interesting? What you think of yourself is competing with what others think of you. They said even antagonistic. They're almost like competing opponents. What you think of yourself, what others think of you. I don't know if you think that's fascinating or not. I, I do. And in summarizing all the research, they concluded that self-awareness, real self-awareness, is impossible. Impossible without a collaboration from external sources with internal sources. I can, bottom line, I can never know myself until there's a collaboration between what I think of myself and what some dependable external source thinks of me. Now they did this from a carnal perspective. And yet, the principle is true. And all they had to work with was basically co-workers and your boss and family and people who care about you and all. That's all they had to work with. But their point is still, nonetheless, true self-awareness cannot be accomplished without both sources coordinating. Secondly, they found that experience and expertise hinder self-awareness. This is not what you would conclude initially. That experience and expertise will hinder self-awareness. Let me quote. Contrary to popular belief, studies have shown people often don't learn from experience. That expertise does not help people root out false information about themselves. And that seeing ourselves as highly experienced can keep us from doing our homework. We will assume that what we think we see is right and correct, especially when it's what we want to see. We do not seek 
disconfirming evidence. And we do not question our assumptions. That's what they found without exception. Experience and expertise hinders self-awareness. In other words, the more talented you believe you are, the more confident you believe you are, and Lord knows the more superior you think you are, the more difficult it is for you to see yourself, your true self. I'm not quoting it from the Bible. This is a very lengthy cognitive neuroscience study, multiple studies. I wonder if this is what Paul meant when he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore, let a man who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I never really thought about it with that slant. Is he saying that the man who's very confident about seeing himself for what he is needs to be really careful? Quoting again, Just as experience can lead to a false sense of confidence about our work, it can also make us overconfident about our level of self-knowledge. And so they found that the more confident a person was in evaluating himself, the less accurate he was in doing so. Sounds like a lose-lose situation to me. It sounds like when it comes to knowing ourselves, seeing ourselves for who we are, we are hopeless It's a lot harder than we ever thought it was. You see, what we come thinking is, well, there may be a lot of things I don't know about life, but I certainly know me. And if I know anything, I know me. And that's pretty easy. I don't even have to sit down and introspect. I just know me. Do you? Well, the psychologists are saying no. No, it's not that easy at all. And until you get some kind of external confirmation, you don't know what you're talking about. To counteract these false evaluations of self-external sources needing feedback, they must be sought, quote, we found that people who improved their accurate self-awareness did so by seeking external sources of feedback. They called them loving critics. They define loving critics, loving critics this way, people who have their best interest in mind, now get this, and are willing to tell you the truth. You thought it was going to say, and are willing to tell you what you want to hear. You thought these loving critics are going to be people who would never tell you anything that would hurt you. Now they say you don't need people like that. You're your own worst enemy when it comes to that. You don't need another person externally telling you something. It's going to compound your mistakes. What you need is someone you can trust who will tell you the truth. And number three, this kind of blows you away. Introspection is a hindrance, often a hindrance to self-awareness. Wait a minute, I thought that's how you... I thought that's how you came to an awareness of self. You introspected. Well, here's their perception on that. Quote, It is widely assumed that introspection, examining the causes of our own thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors, improves self-awareness. After all, what better way 
to know ourselves and by reflecting on who we think we are and, and, and what we want. Yet, one of the most surprising findings of our research is that people who introspect are less self-aware. They even went on to say this, folks, that the frequent self-analyzers are more depressed, anxious, and experience poorer well-being. And you know why? Because of what they call ruminative patterns. They ruminate on things. They mull them over. They toss them over and over and over again in their minds. And the tendency is not to let something go. And they make more of it or less of it than they should. So finally, they write, the human mind rarely operates in a rational fashion when it comes to self. I don't know. I don't know if I've got any believers in here or not. You read that, you say, wait a minute now. I consider myself quite rational. Well, you may be in many other things, but they're saying when it comes to self and seeing yourself or who you... You know, you've observed how people will do things or something's going on in the home there or, and you're aware of it, you're privy to that. You go, why are they doing that? They're just hurting themselves. Why, why do they keep shooting themselves in the foot? Why do they keep making the wrong decisions? And there's really, I, They really have the answer here, it seems to me, because these people can't see themselves like you can. The human mind rarely operates in a rational fashion when it comes to self. Our judgments are seldom free from bias. We tend to pounce on whatever insights we find without questioning their validity or value. We ignore contradictory evidence and we force our thoughts to conform to our initial explanations. In short, when left to ourselves... It is hopeless for us to see ourselves for what we are. Did you know the Bible teaches that? So isn't that kind of a crazy thing for people going around saying, to thine own self be true? Okay, well, who who are you? Just what are you being true to? Do you have any idea? And do you understand that uh, nine times out of ten you're going to be wrong about that? And we're talking about you. You knowing you. I wonder how many brethren think that this is what self-examination is about. They lightly, surfacely, casually read in the Bible about examining yourself and so on. And they're thinking about knowing yourself. And I, I, I think I've known some brethren who take a good bit of pride and I know who I am. I know myself. They're not acting like a Christian. They're not making godly decisions like a Christian. But they they know themselves and it gives them kind of an unction, kind of a license to go about and and, and be loyal to themselves. I wonder how many brethren really buy into this. That that's what this self-examination is is all about. You know, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5, Paul says... um, 
remember, I know nothing against myself. But I'm not therefore justified. Because he who judges me is the Lord. Now, isn't that what these folks are saying? Isn't this... These 800 studies and taking a review and summary and putting it all together and saying, you know, you can't really trust yourself. Isn't that really what Paul's saying? I don't know anything against myself. But I'm not right before God because of that. Because he who judges me is the Lord. And you know, the next verse says something that I think confounds Christians. They're not really sure what it means. Paul says, don't judge anything before the time. Because things said in secret will be made manifest, is the idea. And when you think of it this way, I think it begins to become clear that Paul's saying, yes, we need to do the best knowing God's will and and examining that will with what we are and making changes and all. But you know, it's not over until I stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he judges me. There's something about that awareness. There's something about the, the knowledge that I, I always have to be on my toes. I always have to be aware of the fact that I may be missing something. That my brethren may not be helping me. They may be slouches in this. They may not be helping themselves. I, I don't know. But there's a lot of unknowns here. And there's too much at stake. And so I've got to live with the realization that though I know nothing against myself, I'm always open, I'm always willing to investigate, to examine, to be honest with myself for the possibility, the potential that there is something wrong and that I need to change it. So when he says don't judge anything before it's time, that's what he's talking about. Don't render final judgment on yourself when it's Christ who judges you. How disturbing it is to hear Christians tell us that they've made a decision. And it's the result of study and prayer. When it looks nothing, when it doesn't even resemble the product of study and prayer. And what it is, is a desire for people to know themselves and to do what they want. And fourth, finally... Being true to self does not save you. It does not make you right with God. This wasn't the concern of the researchers, but but folks, they're telling us you can't even be right with other people until you understand how they see you. So why would we think we can be right with God if we don't understand how he sees us? Being true to yourself doesn't allow you to be accepted by God. It doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't give you guidance in life. It doesn't do any of those things. But I'll tell you this. Being true to Christ allows for all of that. When a man understands it's not self we're to be true to, but to Christ himself and his will, and the truth of God, you have now a highway to become a better person. You have now guidance for your life that cannot be surpassed. You have now 
that which allows you to properly examine yourself and to see yourself for who you are. You, you know James chapter 1, looking into the perfect law of liberty, the Bible described as the mirror, the word of God. And so a man goes to the mirror and he sees himself for who he is. And the man who corrects what needs to be corrected, God commends that man. To the man who turns and forgets what manner of man he was because he just doesn't want to see it, God condemns that man. So self-analysis, self-examination is this constant interval between going to an open book, the open scriptures, and examining what God is saying and then looking at self with that knowledge. It's a constant interval from the scriptures to me. From the scriptures to me. And until we can put self out of the way, we'll get everything wrong. There's no secret that the most difficult thing we'll ever really be called upon to do in life is to let go of self. There's no secret to that. The Bible tells us that. The Bible says if a man seeks to save his life, he'll lose it. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25. Jesus says, unless a man is willing to take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 14 and verse 27. The Bible never tells anyone to go and find themselves. I am sad to hear that from people. I must go find myself. And pray tell how you're going to do that. You know how many people are wandering around in the darkness trying to find themselves? And is it any wonder all the weird and ungodly things they find? And they think that's what they're supposed to be. The Bible never tells us to be true to self. It never teaches us to go and find ourselves. It tells us to find God. And he is not far from any of us. Just like Paul told the Athenians. There's great power in the scriptures. We underestimate it. And I tell you, it's uh, you come to the, your eyes are open to the realization that you are not far away from really seeing yourself. And let me put it this way. Think in case you think this is just an argument opposed to you. Isn't this really what you'd want for yourself? You know, when we talked about happiness the last couple of weeks or before Job, then really Job was part of that too, I guess. Let me ask you what you would prefer. Would you rather be a person who, who can learn to be happy no matter what your circumstance or would you prefer to be a person who cannot be happy unless there's a certain amount of goods and possessions in your life? Which would you choose? Would you consciously choose to be the kind of person that you cannot be happy unless you have a certain status in life? That you cannot be happy unless certain circumstances are working out the way you want them to work out? 
Or would you choose for yourself to have the power, that's what it is, to be happy no matter what? No matter what the circumstances, no matter how little you have, no matter what your troubles, that you can learn to be content in that state. And I know what you'd want. And exactly what God wants to give you. It's exactly what he's trying to give us. So let's, let's put aside this idea that we're always wrestling and fighting with the scriptures when in so many ways it's exactly what we need and it's exactly what we want. And it's why the Bible says over and over again that God has instructed us for our good and for our blessings. Let's just submit. Let's put self out of the way and say, let God teach me. Let me learn what I know I want for myself. And that's freedom. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And it's a peace of mind. That's what I want. Blessed are those, the Lord says. It's all there. It's for us. I guess it just demonstrates how messed up we can be when we're following self. Satan. The invitation of the Lord is extended to this time. I hope... I hope in some ways and some somehow that uh, what we've said today gets us to think about this whole thing in a better, more positive perspective than we're caught in in terms of our own ruts. Not worth it. Don't be loyal to yourself. Be loyal to God. To Christ, be loyal. To Christ, be true as we sometimes sing. We invite you to come. We stand and sing.